0: Hello, FFPs. During this time of year where there's often a lot of family togetherness, not to mention the months of family togetherness that many of us have had, we can really see things crop up with our children, especially among those siblings, and you can see those squabbles crop up or maybe just that extra closeness is bringing a little friction to bear. And so we thought, what better time of year when we're all together anyway to get some great tips on that critical sibling relationship. So we really hope you'll enjoy this replay of our episode on siblings, which will give you tips on not only how to foster a great foundation for sibling relationships, but some really practical strategies too for how and when to intervene if struggles do arise. We hope you enjoy this replay on siblings, and we'll see you in the new year with new episodes.
1: Welcome to Raising Adults, the groundbreaking parenting podcast that starts with the end in mind. We're your co-hosts, Dina Thayer and Kira Dorian. We created future-focused parenting to take families from surviving to thriving. So join us as we help you stop raising kids and start raising adults. and I are going to talk about siblings, sibling relationships. Um, We have some interesting sibling setups between uh, your two bio kids who were just a traditional one baby, then another baby, my twins, and then your blended family as well. So we're going to talk about siblings today. So let's start by just talking about our why. Why was future-focused parenting around sibling relationships important to each of us? And then we'll each go into our house.
0: So, that's, Dina, that's you go
1: first. Okay.
0: Well, I was operating from the position of my beliefs in terms of not only being a Christian, but just thinking about people and caring about people and wanting right away my children to be caring about people. And so when I was thinking about this, and I got to, because I got to be pregnant a second time before I had two babies, unlike you. You you lucky lady. (laughs) So I got to actually strategize and didn't have to do it right out of the gate. But I was really thinking about how do we honor our kids as parents, but also how do they start to honor each other? And how do they love each other well? And what kind of foundation will we lay for that? And we did certainly have that philosophy in the back of our mind as Christians. I mean, for sure, because we think people are created in the image of God. So they're all really important. And we didn't want one child to feel more important than the other. But even on a practical level, I just wanted, even once they were older, for my kids to be able to say that they are genuinely friends, Mm. and I wanted to be laying the groundwork for that right away, and also letting other people know, the outside world know, in our family, we care about how these two relate to each other, and I think that was important that we send that kind of a strong message too. Then more recently, when we added the blend, it became a big deal to us that we work hard at making this feel like family, and I'm not saying we do this perfectly. We still have those moments where it's a struggle. But working to minimize the divide down biological lines, that when there's an issue, we go into, oh, now we're the Thayers and the Dumals, which was my previous married name. We work to just be our united family. And that's taken some time, for sure, especially when you suddenly get some new siblings. Like you got two babies at once and my kids. And so Scott's kids got this experience of now I have extra siblings all of a sudden. So it's a very similar Mm. kind of experience that it's sudden and it's multiple. It's not just we have a long time to get ready. There wasn't a pregnancy. There was just now my parent is marrying your parent and I have extra people. So we really try to operate in a way that shows love and deference to all of those people. And I think you'll get to hear some more of that play out in terms of some of the things we actually did.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What about you? So, well, I mean, if I'm being totally honest, I was terrified of having these two babies at the same time. I feel like that's going to be a running theme in our podcast. Like, just Kira's terrified. Kira's (laughs) terrified. Um, I think partly because I'm an only child. I was really concerned about, you know, when they have sibling rivalry. I'm just not going to even... I mean, I still, to this day, sometimes when they fight, I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get it. Go talk to your dad. <laughs> um, so I was really concerned about that. I was I was also very personally concerned about how we relate as a family. That was really important to me. And because we became a family overnight um, with these two children... I wanted us to be a team. Like, we actually call ourselves Team Dorian. We sign cards, Team Dorian. Our Christmas cards say Team Dorian. Um, My husband and I felt it was really important that our children learn that they are a part of a team and that our family works together. Um, And so part of working together means caring for each other, respecting each other. But also from the mental health side, which, as we've talked about, is really important to me as a mental health professional, I, I really feel like your first relationships and interpersonal relationships begin at home. And so teaching them to develop positive uh, interpersonal relationships with us and also with each other is going to set them up for their future interpersonal relationships with friends, colleagues, and partners if they choose to have them in the future. So that was the why for me was really I want them to be happy. I want them to have positive interpersonal relationships. And I want us to work as a team and feel like a connected team. I have a lot of friends who don't get along with their siblings. They're adults and they don't, they don't have anything to do with their siblings, and, and that made my heart really sad. I, I felt like as someone who didn't have a sibling, um, now when I look at my two, I know what I was missing. And so because I now know what I was missing, I want to make sure that that continues into mm-hmm. all that positivity moving forward for them. Because one day we're not going to be around. Dave and I aren't going to be around, and all they will have is each other. That's right. And even though my mom didn't get sick until my kids were about 18 months old – Um, navigating losing a parent alone was really hard. And so once she became sick and she passed away, it became even more important to me that they have each other because when they hit these big bumps in the road, when they lose me or they lose their father, all they're going to have is each other. And we want that to be something that is a positive time for them together in a dark storm instead of more darkness inside darkness, which it can often become.
0: I love that. And I really love the team analogy, which is so big that kids feel like they're part of something bigger. One of children's first needs is establishing that sense of belonging to something. And family's the first place you get to do that. So that's fantastic.
1: Tell us how you did that, both with Mark and Sienna, and then maybe later we can talk about the blend. Sure. Yeah. So I'll start with my biological
0: kids. And just one of my real goals Whenever we're chatting, is that I give listeners something they could actually try. So I'm just going to share a real practical thing we did when Marcelino was born. So Sienna at that time was still not even two. And we had seen over and over as our peer group were having babies that when a new baby came, that sibling kind of got lost in the shuffle and just went to the background. People would come into the house. Where's the baby? I want to hold the baby. Let's see the new baby. And you have a toddler an older infant, even a preschooler who really gets it, possibly feeling pretty left out. And we just did not like that. That didn't feel good to us. So my husband and I decided that we would make people aware right as they came to visit That this was gonna look different. And so we actually posted a sign on our front door that said, When you come in, would you please acknowledge Sienna first? Come to her, say hello, make a big fuss if you have to about, wow, you're a big sister, how's that been? Then you can come see the baby. But we just wanted her to have that time to feel, I'm still important, I still matter in this family. And you know what else? She was there first. I didn't want her to feel like she suddenly went to the back burner. She was the person who made us a family. And that's a really special place. And I didn't want her to be usurped just because there was a new baby. Love Mark. He's fantastic to this day. makes me laugh so much. We were so glad he was there. But we just wanted to avoid that subtle shift that happens where everyone's all about the baby. And and then that older sibling just kind of gets lost. And we wanted to make sure that didn't happen. And it was great. I can't tell you how many people not just complied, but embraced it and went the extra mile. We had people who would bring her cute little gifts or they would come in and actually sit and play with her for a little bit before even coming over to hold the baby. It was wonderful. And it went such a long way to making her feel special.
1: I love that. And what a great example of future focused, right? Thinking about how is Sienna going to feel? What can I do to plan ahead and set her up for success in this situation? I love that. It was great. And I wanted her to remember
0: that time because we're learning more and more that there are some early memories that are big. There's some kind of imprinting moments in oh, t- yeah. terms of some of these milestones. I see that
1: in my practice all the time. Oh, I in bet. In fact, I cannot tell you how many people have self-esteem issues because of when a sibling was born. When we get to the root of what's going on, it's like, oh, well, that's when my sister was born.
0: So the fact that you
1: were thinking ahead that way is so huge.
0: Well, I wanted her to be able to go back and think that wasn't a time when I lost something. Mm. It was a time I gained something. I gained this new role as a big sister, as a new protector of this new little one. I gained a role in my family that was unique and was unique to me. It wasn't just now I'm just one of two. It's, wow, now I'm this. And I wanted her to feel that she gained rather than lost when that happened, when she was looking back on that
1: experience. So moving forward, tell me a little bit about how you encourage their positive relationship, because I have witnessed some of the things that you've done with them. And it's absolutely beautiful. And they are great friends as a result. I mean, I see it when I come over. They really love each other. Um, so tell tell me about that.
0: It is really sweet to see. This is the great part, right? You do all the hard, and then you get to see the fun. And now that they're teenagers, I see how close they are, which is
1: Which for teenagers is amazing. Can we take a second? Super special. That your teenagers who are, like, less than two years apart get along so well? That's incredible. It's
0: amazing. And just the things that I find out that I didn't even know were happening, I found out they were leaving notes in each other's locker, even if it was just to say hello or leave a little inside joke. And I just loved that, that they were seeking that out. But when they were younger... How we kind of laid the foundation for that actually had a lot to do with how we handled it when they weren't getting along. Mm-hmm. And it was teaching them to look in the mirror. It's so easy with siblings for them to be, well, she did this. Well, he did that. He started it. Oh, the whoever started it thing. I, I can't even with that. It just it really doesn't matter who started it. We have to come to how can we finish it well. And we talked a lot about the other, which is another huge value in our home how can we be caring about others and take some of that focus off? Well, sometimes the very best way to do that is look at how did I contribute to this problem? So I would often ask them, all right, I hear what you're saying, Sienna, that Mark took the toy from you. What was happening right before that? And sometimes I would learn a lot, or maybe that really was the precipitating event, but then I could ask her, and what was your response? Mm -hmm. Was it a loving response? Did you politely let him know you were playing with that? And could you have it back? Or did you Throw a fit and yell and just come and get me. And that was another thing, too, with their sibling squabbles. We really not only taught them to look in the mirror, but also whenever possible, don't get a referee right away. Work to problem solve. Kids are actually far more capable than I think we sometimes give them credit for of working things out.
1: I totally agree. And
0: so whenever possible, we really wanted them to try to engage with that and have some dialogue. And then I did say, of course, if you can't solve it, come get me. That's fine. Go and get an adult if you can't solve it. But let's try first and not just immediately cry uncle and say, I've got to get a grown-up on the scene because this is awful. So those were a couple practical things. We had them wait a little bit on getting adult. We had them learn to look at where have I contributed to the problem. And we also borrowed a really lovely idea. I worked in a Montessori for a while and I loved this. In their classrooms, they have a table called the peace table. Mm -hmm. And it's where people go who are having trouble and they go sit down and talk it out. And I just loved that. And so we ended up adopting that and we had a peace table in our home. And it was so great because it also removed me again as referee. And I was able to say, hey, this looks like it's kind of struggling over here. Why don't you take it to the peace table and see if you have better luck? And often they would. Sometimes just even that change of scenery, the walk there even, think about it. How many times do you hear people take a breath and count to 10? Sometimes just the walk there is 10 seconds, but it's enough to calm down a little. And even for a four-year-old, be able to face it a little differently.
1: Well, and you're also, you're literally changing the perspective, right? By changing where they're dialoguing, you are completely changing the perspective physically around them. But also, you're now setting this suggestion, really, that, like, hey, at the peace table, you're going to solve the problem. So let's go over there. Mm -hmm. And so they go in kind of with the expectation that, well, this is where we're going to figure it out.
0: Yeah. And for people for whom that maybe isn't practical or doesn't match their paradigm, Something that can be helpful that's similar is I watched a lot uh, about posture. So I made sure they were even when they were talking to each other. So, for instance, if one was standing over the other and shouting and getting frustrated, I would have them take a seat. So now they're both sitting and we're on this even playing field. So even physically they're seeing we match, we both matter. Amazing what that can do, just changing the level of a person. Yeah. How about you? Because you got two at the same time. Yes, I did. all going on at once.
1: Yes, I did. What were some things you did? Well, you know, I think that from the get-go, I was really aware that these two people were going to have to learn to work together pretty much from day one, because from day one, not everyone could get fed the moment they wanted to get fed. Not everyone could get comforted the moment they wanted to get comforted. So I was really aware that giving them skills, even from birth, um, around waiting and patience and respecting each other's needs was going to be hugely important. Um, and so we and we are very emotionally intelligence focused in our home. So for us, it was also a lot about very similar to what you were saying, trying to have empathy and compassion for the other person. What might be going on for that person that is causing this behavior. And we do that outside of the home too. You know, sometimes if a friend has been unkind at school or someone's being a bully, we'll look at, well, you know, what do you think's going on for them? What's their home life like? You know, what kind of day were they having? What did did you guys get your test results today? You know, trying to look at what causes our human behavior. So even within their relationship, looking at that, like looking at the intention, I think intention is so huge in our society. It's really interesting. We as human beings are very focused on our intentions and other people's impact. And if we flip that, if it was like, I actually need to think about my impact and focus on the other person's intentions, like, mm-hmm. all of our problems would go, <laughs> we've solved the world, here we go. That's the solution, everyone. But, but in all seriousness, understanding someone's intentions. So taking the toy example, because of course we had that. Do you think that he was trying to hurt your feelings by taking the toy? or was he excited about the toy, right? So immediately making them realize, maybe this wasn't directed at me, and then looking at, okay, well, how can you express yourself in a way that's kind but firm? We do a lot of that in our home. Kind but firm, teaching our children, it's okay to be assertive, it's okay to say what you want, but you need to do it in a way that's kind, because one day you're gonna be on the receiving end of that and you would want kindness, right? Also using empathy a lot, how would you feel If someone took your toy, right, to the culprit, to whoever took the toy, like, wow, you know, if you were playing with that, how would you feel if your sister took that toy? Oh, I'd feel sad. Yeah. How do you think sis is feeling right now? Sad. Yeah. What do you think we should do about that? Right? Really trying to coach them through. So we did a lot of that kind of coaching and with twins, we did it. A lot from the beginning on the fly. I mean, we'd be out in the world and something would happen in the grocery store. And I know that happens with kids of multiple ages as well. But, you know, there was just something so unique about having two kids who are the same age they have the same amount of information you can have the exact same expectations from them right it's not like one's younger and oh i'm going to be sensitive to the fact that they this might is not a place be where you had kind of a bonus yeah i mean kind of it was like you my expectations of you are exactly the same and that's okay so kind of setting them up for that. So a lot of coaching around the emotional experience. Was that person trying to hurt you emotionally? Can we look and try and empathize and understand where that person was coming from? And then also, can we look at how we impacted that other person? How did we make them feel? How would we feel if that happened to us? So just encouraging empathy and emotional intelligence was a huge how for us in in creating a positive relationship between them. And then when they were about, I want to say they were three, three, three and a half, I remember there was a day where there was a conflict, and I thought to myself, you know what? They actually have all the skills they need to solve this. They don't need me anymore, not right away, like you were saying. So I actually sat them down. And I said, guys, I got to tell you, you guys have all the skills you need to solve your own problems now together so from now on you guys need to try and solve it yourself give it a good go if you can't come and get me but i think you're ready and from that point onward honestly they rarely come and get me they were empowered i think to feel like we've got this we can solve this and i hear them problem solve now i mean all the time there's such a lovely kind of back and forth and they don't agree on everything all the time of course they fight and like i said in a previous um episode there are times where the sibling rivalry thing i'm like i don't get it but um On the whole, I hear them kind of jump to problem solving really, really quickly. Like, okay, well, what if I did this and you did that? Or what if I went first and you went second, right? Really trying to solve the problem. Or I often hear them talk about the feelings of the other. I'm really sorry if I made you sad. I didn't, I wasn't trying to make you sad. And the other one will say, that's okay. I I forgive you, I understand. Or I'm not ready to forgive you yet, but I understand. So I, I hear the words, again, like we've talked about, the, the long game of parenting. That was super hard when they were two years old and we were in public and everyone was watching me drop all my groceries, get down to their level, and try and problem solve with them. But now it was so worth it. Yeah, you get so that payoff. Yeah. And then we also – the other how I think that was really big was back to that team analogy. So my kids just did their first year of kindergarten, and um, they the school does these awesome awards where they, you know, award the kids for positive behavior, basically. And so Reese won the very first award of the year, and they were in the same class. So we were dealing with a lot of the twin stuff this year around, like, one's a stronger reader than the other, but one's more athletic than the other. And of course, because they're in the same class, they see it. They're right up against it. And so this, this uh, certificate, this award, it was a big assembly, and mommy and daddy came. And Dave and I were like, well, how are we going to handle this? Um, but then we realized that that team is really important. And so we said to them because we knew that Reese was going to win, so we were able to set this up a little bit. Um, We said, uh, you know, a win for one is a win for the team. So we celebrate each other's wins just like it's our own because we're a team. And so when he won the award, Rhiannon was so good about it. She was like, go team Dorian. We're doing so great. Like, you know, and then a little while later, she won an award at school and he was the same. Go team. A win for one is a win for all. Like I heard it kind of coming back. So I think those were the main ways that we tried to set up the sibling dynamic to be a positive one. And so far, it really has been. I mean, my kids, of course, they fight, but they fight like maybe 10% of the time, and I hear them work it out. So it's really, um, on the whole, a really healthy, beautiful relationship to watch.
0: I love it. I love hearing about your parenting because it is so, it's just beautiful. And I love something you said that I want to come back to when you were coaching through disagreements that... It was leading them, not telling them where to go, because you did it with questions. Mm -hmm. And there's another practical thing people can latch on and start literally right now. You can start changing the script by just asking questions instead of saying, here's what's going to happen. One of the things I get kind of frustrated with, and honestly, I see it a lot in the Christian community, is this idea of you have to apologize. Mm -hmm. And we're not taking the time To realize, A, not everything requires an apology. If you accidentally bump someone, what I told my kids is you can check on them and make sure their body's okay, but you didn't do it on purpose, so it doesn't require this huge remorseful apology. Mm -hmm. I didn't require that. But I hear that a lot. You have to say you're sorry. Well, what's behind that? They can easily just parrot the words and not really be thinking about how they made the other person feel, that that impact you were talking Mm -hmm. about, and it's really not very meaningful. So I love that you did it through questions. And as our listeners heard earlier, that was the same thing with me. Well, how did you respond? And that is so helpful. It makes them think about what's going on. And then, like you said, can lead them to finding the answer. And we've talked a lot about problem solving this phrase. So another just little phrase you can use if you're looking for something to latch on to is we often said that, hey, it looks like we're talking a lot about the problem. Why don't we start talking about a solution?
1: Oh, I love that. And
0: get them off of here's how I was so wronged and get them to how can we work it out? Mm -hmm. And that is huge to be able to move forward.
1: I love that. Yeah. In terms of the questions, because I think you're exactly right. And and we do. We do ask a lot of questions. Um, In the therapist world, one of the best ways to phrase a question is to start with, I wonder, or I'm curious about. I'm curious about what you were doing in that moment before. I I wonder how that made that person feel. Um, Because it's light, right? There's a a lightness to that. There's an active curiosity. It's not shaming. It's not attacking. It's not putting down. It's just curiosity. And it helps guide them to find those answers. And in fact,
0: think how important it makes them feel. Wow, mommy is wondering about what was going on with me. Even in this moment where maybe they were the one who did something wrong, my parent wants to know what's happening and what I'm thinking about and what was I feeling. So they also get to feel really valued. Someone is interested in my side of what's happening here. Oh, and I notice here she's also interested in what happened with my sibling. But that's so huge for them to feel not undermined and not devalued just because there may have been something going on that wasn't okay.
1: I have to say one thing we did differently um, is around the I'm sorry, because I do make them apologize if they bump into someone, but I make them say what they're saying sorry for, which is not that they intentionally hurt someone. Oh, I'm sorry you got hurt, or I'm sorry I bumped Mm -hmm. into you. Are you okay? Um, Because I wanted them to – exactly what you said. I didn't want empty apologies. I wanted them to understand, but we've talked a lot about, you know, accidents happen. You can't get through life – I say this this a lot – you can't get through life without – Fill in the blank, spilling milk. You can't get through life without bumping into someone. You can't get through life without feeling embarrassed. Um, and so I'll say you can't get through life without bumping into someone, but it's nice to say, I'm sorry that that happened to you. Can I help? Mm-hmm. Right? Do you need anything? Yeah. And we did teach
0: that for sure if it was a stranger or somebody. And we also had a slight distinction. We used excuse me. Mm-hmm. So if there was just a little bump. But with each other, we talked a lot about the difference between something that requires a here's where I was really wrong. Will you forgive me? Versus that was a mistake. I'm still sorry it happened. How can I help you? Yeah. Or we would sometimes ask Sienna, you know, it looked like brother got bonked over there. Why don't you go check on him? Or she would run and go get him an ice pack. And it would be cute because then they started to learn this active help, not just say, I'm sorry, and move on. It was, oh, what can I do for you? And sometimes she'd be getting ice packs for things that didn't even need ice packs because (laughs) she just wanted to help. But, But it was really great to make that little bit of a distinction. And I love that you said, you also said, we had them say, what they were sorry for. That was a big thing for us. Obviously, our terminology was different in a Christian home. We would tell them, please name your sin. Mm -hmm. So they would have to say to brother or whatever, I'm sorry that I took your toy. That was selfish of me and it was wrong. Will you please forgive me? So that was our other distinction is something that was an intentional wrong. We really needed to ask for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. If it was just a, oops, I'm sorry. You can be sorry that it happened, but it doesn't mean you have to Mm -hmm. be this do this whole rigmarole with the repentance and will you please forgive me? And and it was important for them to know the difference because I didn't want them thinking that every single thing required this long, drawn-out display. And I do see it, unfortunately, sometimes be forced on kids who really don't mean it. Mm-hmm. But I absolutely agree with you. Naming what's happened is powerful because you can also get that quick, I'm sorry, it's like, for what? Right. So that's huge and and definitely acknowledgement of those things. So I wouldn't disagree with that. We just were careful with not... Not having force. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Apologies and all of that.
1: So, we've talked about the sort of more traditional sibling setup where one is born and then another one is born. We've talked about my weirdo twin setup where they're just, they both show up at the same time. Let's talk about your blended family because I think the way you guys have handled that is so beautiful. And I know a lot of people are in that same situation and would love to know well, how do I try and create positive sibling relationships in this blend.
0: Yeah, it's not an easy business. I always say blended families are not for the faint of heart. But a couple of things that are just fun anecdotal examples. One is we actually got excited when our kids started acting like siblings. And what I mean is when they started to feel comfortable enough to bicker or Mm. disagree. Because at the beginning, in a blended family, and those of you who've done it will know, everyone's sort of on their best behavior. And you almost still feel like guests in the home We're not sure where we all stand. What role do we have? And I saw that with the kids a ton. They were still kind of overly polite and just not sure. And it took a while to develop a level of comfort. And we worked to foster that. And part of that, you don't get a lot of say in. That's another thing that's hard with blends is if you have visitation schedules that are differing, Mm -hmm. you might only have a few days of the month where all the kids are together. So growing that is slow. And that's why we talk about in our blended family a lot. And this isn't our idea just to be clear, this is Ron Deal's terminology, but it's great, is that a blend family is really more like a crock pot. You have to cook it on low and slow. It takes a long time. If you really were to just put all the members of your family in a blender, it's not going to be good. I mean, it's it's going to be rough. Okay. So you've got to give it time, and you don't always get a say in that. But when our kids were together, we tried to make it fun, at least in the beginning. We made family outings a priority. We made family dinner a priority. We sometimes didn't even know what to talk about, so I bought a box of, many of you have probably heard of table topics, and we would do questions while we ate, and it helped us get to know each other. And you know what? We still do them. They became so popular that when we ran out of that box, I bought another one. So it's really become a way to get to know each other. But I will say, in the background, the first time we heard the kids fighting with step siblings, Scott and I were like, yes! we're getting there. We're doing something right. So that's just one anecdotal story. And then one other thing that we've been proactive about is I love your team analogy. We've tried to create a family team of our blend. So there are times where things call for biological lines, and we'll get to those, I'm sure, in future episodes. But as much as possible, this is a group. We're now a family of seven. And one of the things we did is we even came up with a family name. And so we have a little acronym, TD7, because Thayer is my new last name and the last name of my husband and his kids. But my kid's last name is Dumal, and there's now seven of us. So we have the little nickname, TD7. We use it for all kinds of things. Our family Wi-Fi network is called that, when we check in at restaurants sometimes. Just fun things. We, we've we made that a little identity. We're TD7. We're a group. Both families get represented in that little nickname. And it also embodies that there's seven of us now, and it's not this fractured thing.
1: And you know what I love is back to that idea of belonging. Here you have five kids who are now in a new situation. How do I figure out where I belong In this new family dynamic, creating a family name gives them a sense of belonging. You're a part of this. It
0: really does. And it's hard for them when they're going back and forth between two homes. And I know that's not everyone's situation because blends are created from other things too besides divorce. But when you're going back and forth, it's nice to know, hopefully it's like this in both homes, but it's really important that at least at this house, I know I'm part of something bigger. They're really trying. And we have now a group identity as a blended family. That's a big deal to re-hone in on what's my identity after they've dealt with a fracturing of a family.
1: I love that. Well, I hope you found uh, today's topic of siblings and their relationships helpful and that you get to kind of try out some of the things that Dina and I talked about. And if you have any awesome ideas that you want to share, you can definitely get in touch with us through the website, which is RaisingAdultsPodcast.com. So today Dina and I have talked about a lot of different types of sibling relationships and we want to finish with a quote by Peggy O'Mara who says the way we talk to our children becomes their inner voice and I would like to add to that that also the way we teach our children to talk to each other becomes a part of their inner voice and how they end up communicating and speaking with all of their relationships as they grow into adulthood. Thanks for listening. For more information, you can go to RaisingAdultsPodcast.com or our bigger brand, FutureFocusedParenting.com. Raising Adults is produced by Kira Dorian and Dina Thayer and recorded in my laundry room. Music by Seattle band Hannah Lee. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating. Tell your friends. Share it on Facebook and Instagram. It's amazing how much those positive reviews and word of mouth is the key to a successful podcast. So if you like what you hear, give us that five-star rating and we can bring you more of it. Thanks for listening.